Untold Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. James Corbett of the Corbett Report is standing by in the first hour to discuss the lockdown, the great monetary reset and more. In the second hour, I had an opportunity to speak with retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis about communist Chinese infiltration here in Canada and in the United States. Uh, we also talked about U.S. the U.S. election, and you'll hear how that conversation went in hour two. So tonight, we uh, continue to hammer away at the case-demic lockdown. Uh, besides the continuing saga of the U.S. election, which we'll touch on in hour two, the lockdown is really the only story. It's the story of the century. We are living in truly historic times, and people, I think, are slowly waking up to the idea that the lockdown is in part. I'm not saying the virus isn't real. I'm not saying that people are not dying. I'm not saying people aren't suffering. But I'm saying that the lockdown is in part, I believe, cover for something else that's going on, the Great Reset, or as they call it at the United Nations, Agenda 2030. And what I find disappointing, a little bit distressing, is that when so-called journalists and lib media, liberal media types, tell you it's all just a silly conspiracy theory. When they say that, my suggestion is you run in the opposite direction. If they say that, oh, this Great Reset is just a bunch of nonsense. It's a silly conspiracy theory. It simply means they're not paying attention. Or worse, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. The folks at the World Economic Forum and the United Nations are telling us how they plan on using COVID to achieve their objective, which involves a massive wealth transfer from developed nations to developing nations. Let me read from one of the true journalists left in Canada, Toronto Sun columnist Lori Goldstein. The column is titled, UN Climate Report Reveals Goals of Trudeau's Great Reset. Conservative MP Pierre Polyev was falsely condemned recently for trading in conspiracy theories. His accusers were liberals, with a capital L, and liberal media who misrepresented what the Great Reset of Society advocated by, Mr. Or by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, the World Economic Forum, and the United Nations, where it's called the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable, Sustainable Development, means. It means what Polyev said it means. Global elites using the COVID-19 pandemic and recession to fundamentally reshape society, reduce economic freedom, and transfer wealth from the developed to the developing world. It's not a conspiracy. It's out in the open. It's not a plot for global dictatorship. It's a globalist plan to convince people living in democracies in the developed world to accept a lower standard of living what reducing industrial greenhouse gas emissions actually means. To, we're told, save the planet from catastrophic global warming. Under the plan, according to the UN, Trudeau's announcement that he'll raise his carbon tax to $170 per ton of emissions by 2030 is already obsolete. 
Trudeau says it will help Canada exceed its 2015 Paris Climate Agreement target of reducing Canada's emissions to 30 percent, now 32 percent, below 2005 levels by 2030. But in its annual emissions report released two days before Trudeau's announcement, the UN said even if every country meets its Paris targets, global temperatures will increase by a catastrophic three degrees Celsius this century. The UN now says... If the Paris Agreement goals are to be achieved, countries must collectively increase their ambitions threefold to get on track to a two degrees Celsius goal and more than fivefold to get on track to 1.5 degrees Celsius goal. The UN says the only way this can be done, along with the ever increasing carbon taxes, is by altering human behavior. Altering. Starting to get the picture now, folks. Keeping us locked indoors. Altering our behavior. While the UN condemns the wealthiest 1% of the world's population for generating more than twice the emissions of the poorest 50%, its real agenda is to engineer dramatic lifestyle changes throughout society and in particular to what Trudeau calls the middle class. That's you and me. As the UN puts it, lifestyle changes are a prerequisite for sustaining reductions in greenhouse gas emissions and for bridging the emissions gap. Around two-thirds of global emissions are linked to private household activities. They don't like your cars. They don't like your fireplaces. They don't like your kitchen stove. Those are my words. Reducing emissions through lifestyle changes requires changing both broader systemic conditions and individual actions. Governments, the UN says, have a major role in setting the conditions under which lifestyle changes can occur through shaping policy, regulations, and infrastructure investments necessary to bring about wider changes in the social, cultural, political, and economic systems in which people live. How? Well, the UN is explicit. COVID-19 has provided insight into how rapid lifestyle changes can be brought about by governments. The lockdown period in many countries may be long enough to establish new lasting routines if supported by longer-term measures. In planning the recovery from COVID-19, governments have an opportunity to catalyze low-carbon lifestyle changes by disrupting entrenched practices. Governments can achieve these goals, the UN says, through taxation and other policies affecting fundamental transition or decisions we make about our lives, from what we eat, preferably meatless, low-carbon diets, to how we travel, less by air, more by subsidized electric cars, to how we power our homes with wind and solar energy, at least for higher income earners, given the costs, and much, much more. That's what Trudeau means by the Great Reset. Canadians deserve the truth before deciding if they support it. Well, I've been talking about this for 20 years. I'm so glad fine journalists like Lori Goldstein and Brian Lilly, to name another, are on side on this and it's not a conspiracy theory it's a conspiracy fact in fact i may have to change the name of my show it's all going mainstream here to discuss the lockdown the great reset including a possible global monetary reset is james corbett james is an award-winning investigative journalist he's lectured on geopolitics uh, delivered presentations on open source journalism at the french institute for research in computer science and automations And he's uh, also, of course, the editor, writer, and producer of The Corbett Report, beginning in 2007, an outlet for independent critical analysis of politics, society, history, and economics. James Corbett, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? 
I'm doing as well as can be expected given the circumstances that we're all living under right now. But I do appreciate you for having me on again, Richard. It's been a couple of years since we last spoke, but I know you know things are getting more serious than ever. So I'm glad you're one of the voices that are speaking up about the very, very dark times that we're heading into. Right. And I just thought it deserved a full read. Lori Goldstein's piece, again, one of the few journalists in Canada that still or there is able to, to speak about this or that has the temerity or the, I guess the courage is the word to speak about this. Would you concur with the main sort of themes of this, that the, the lockdown and COVID, although, you know, I do believe the virus is real, but it's being used as cover for, among other things, UN Agenda 2030. Uh, Not only would I agree with that, I would go several steps further, because if we want to look at the very, very long-term consequences of what we are looking at here, it is not just about the expectation of austerity that's being bred into the population right now as we move towards the neo-feudal plantation, but ultimately the end goal is for a massive culling of the human population down to levels that are quite drastically smaller than they are today, depending on which of the globalists you want to listen to. uh, For example, Ted Turner has proposed bringing the human population down to 250 million people, but he has been in bed with the Rockefellers of the world and the Bill Gates of the world and other people that he has on the record been conspiring with behind the scenes to try to bring these plans about. That is ultimately where we are heading. So we are being prepared and conditioned for a prolonged period of economic devastation of the verities that we have grown up with our entire lives and lived with our entire lives. And that is really just a preparatory stage to the culling of the human population, which is part of the longer-term agenda. So someone on Twitter today I thought made a brilliant point, and that was they keep sort of moving the goalposts. First of all, it was two weeks to flatten the curve, and then you know, then they extended that, of course, on and on and on, and then they opened it up for a little bit. And they won't tell us exactly how long. And the reason for that is if they really told us the truth – There'd be rioting in the streets because the truth is they intend to keep us locked down indefinitely. This is an incredibly important point of the propaganda that we've been subjected to this year, which is to keep the population constantly expecting that things are about to change just around the corner, just two weeks to flatten the curve, etc., just long enough to condition us to accept what is going on until the point at which eventually it is revealed that, well, we have entered the new normal and things will never, ever go back to what you expected them to be. The latest iteration of that, of course, is the rollout of the vaccines, the vaccines that are going to save us all, which we've been promised all year. And now that these experimental mRNA and DNA vaccines never before approved for human use are being given emergency authorization by the FDA and the UK government and the European Medicine Agency, despite the fact that the clinical trials that are testing their safety and efficacy are still ongoing. Let me underline that. Everyone who takes one of these vaccines is participating in an ongoing experiment with the public. But having said that, even now they're starting to say, well, we don't know if these vaccines will even prevent people from spreading this deadly killer virus. So you'll still have to observe social distancing and the masks and all of the other mandates that are now going to be part of our lives. I have a message for your audience tonight, which is that The things that you have been conditioned to accept over the past several months are going to be part of your lives for the foreseeable future if the people who are in these unelected positions of public health authority have their way. They are not going to relinquish this power anytime soon until we start rejecting the principles at base 
that healthy people need to lock themselves away inside their homes because we are now all responsible for everyone else's health, completely subverting the basic principles that we have structured our entire society on for centuries. This is insanity. We have to reject it at its root before this becomes part of the public consciousness. I've been saying for some time that a free people, if you truly believe in individual liberty and civil liberties, a free people are best suited to manage their own risk. We do that every day when we get behind the wheel of an automobile. Every day we go to work. We have to be allowed to manage our own risk. We're adults democracies and a republic are designed for a free and moral and responsible people. We have to be allowed to manage it on our own. The government can't be our parents. That's not the way it works in Western civilization. That is exactly the case, and that is exactly the point. I made a video back in, I believe, April of this year trying to get at the root of what's going on right now called What No One Is Saying About the Corona Crisis, in which I attempted to articulate this point. I have no authority or ability to control you or your body, and I would not even presume to stop someone who wants to isolate themselves because they are afraid of a virus or any sort of pathogen. They want to protect themselves. I have no ability and no interest in telling those people what they should or shouldn't do. If they want to hermetically seal themselves off from the rest of humanity for the rest of their lives, I say, go for it. I have, I have no ability to stop you. I don't want to stop you. Having said that, all I ask in return is my ability to live my life. And again, you can take any precautions that you want. I will take the precautions that I deem necessary to protect my own life and my own health. And that is the way that we structure society in a way that we can all function. But no, no, now we're starting to get this new idea being inculcated in the public that we are all responsible for everyone else's health. So we, healthy people, have to isolate ourselves. This has nothing to do with a virus. This is about control, and it is exactly in line with the rollout for a global Great Reset, as they themselves are calling it, to basically institute measures of strictures and control on the human population that have never before been imaginable, but just now are becoming technologically feasible. Right. And put another way, I, th I agree with everything you said. There's another saying that my freedom does not end where your fear begins. To what extent, James, do you think that Agenda 2030 is also just sort of another layer Regular listeners to this program know my beliefs about anthropogenic global warming. I, I, I think it's a hoax. And so they're telling us that in order to save the planet from catastrophic man-made global warming, they have to keep us locked down. So I mean, that's just another sort of layer to this hoax, right? It absolutely is. And you will notice that these agendas that are being rolled out right now dovetail perfectly because the agenda itself is the actual point. And whatever sort of excuses that they lay on top of that point are really just excuses that they are using to drive it into the public consciousness. And for many decades now, as I know you know, they have attempted to use the climate change myths to try to put fear into the public, to motivate them to change their lifestyle. That wasn't going quickly enough. It was unlikely they were going to achieve their Agenda 2030 dreams just on the back of that particular hoax. 
So they have rolled out another hoax that seems to be working a lot more effectively for the would-be controllers of society. And again, this is going exactly according to plans, plans that have been wargamed out, not just in Event 201, which I'm sure your audience has probably heard about, the event simulating a globally spreading coronavirus last October, co-hosted by the World Economic Forum, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and Johns Hopkins, but also in numerous exercises, Crimson Contagion and others that have been wargaming out the different ways that essentially the medical martial law scenario that we are seeing playing out across much of the world right now, the infrastructure for that was carefully laid out. And so we are basically living through a convenient excuse for a long-planned agenda. And that's laid out in pretty clear detail with the Agenda 2030 ideas, the Sustainable Development Goals. Of course, it covered in the woolly rhetoric that we've all been trained to clap like seals when we hear, oh, it's about sustainability and, and growth and equality and inclusion. But of course, all of this is really just prepping us for the neo-feudal plantation in which we will be, at best, the cattle that are allowed to live on the increasingly small reservation, while the people who are running this agenda, of course, will monopolize the world's resources. James Corbett from The Corbett Report is with me for the hour. Just a reminder, coming up in hour two, retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis on uh, the Chinese, communist Chinese infiltration into Canada, the United States, also perhaps involved in rigging the U.S. election. But that's just another conspiracy theory, right, folks? All right. I just wanted to quickly start this part of the conversation and we'll continue after the break. And that is this idea of transferring wealth from the developed world, which is the West, the United States, Canada, Japan, Europe, to the developing world. As far as I can recall, China is still considered, even though it's an economic powerhouse, still considered part of the developing world. And, of course, we see that, you know, they're not reducing emissions. They're bringing more and more coal-fired plants online. Is this really, if we break it down, about transferring wealth to China? This is about the creation of a convenient boogeyman for the Cold War of the 21st century in the same way that the Cold War of the 20th century was perpetuated by the Lend-Lease Agreements and other ways that Wall Street and the banking class really did prop up the Soviet Union as a convenient Potemkin village, the scary boogeyman against which the same interests that controlled the American empire could use to basically corral their own population. That exact same dynamic is being set up in the 21st century with the deliberate buildup of China as the economic juggernaut that it is becoming, completely on the back of the carefully laid infrastructure of Wall Street and the corporate corporatocracy that has essentially offshored so much of the wealth of the West to China over the past couple of decades. And now that that economic juggernaut has been created and it is increasingly becoming a geopolitical juggernaut, it is now becoming the boogeyman for this 21st century new Cold War conflict, which will again be used to control populations at home first and foremost. It could eventuate in some sort of actual hot geopolitical conflict, but it doesn't necessarily have to as the 20th century uh, Cold War template shows just as long as it can be used to control populations at home. If people want more information on that, I would highly suggest they check out a report that I did several years ago now on China and the New World Order, detailing those connections, how they were built up by uh, David Rockefeller and his associates and cronies in the 1980s, and then through the corporate transfer of wealth in the 1990s research and development that has led to the creation of the Chinese juggernaut of today. It was a deliberate strategy And it's paid off quite well for the would-be controllers of society. 
All right, James, we'll take a time out and continue to discuss the lockdown and the great reset right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. James, how do we um, watch the Corbett Report and uh, watch your documentaries, read your articles and so forth? All of my work is available 100% for free to the public at CorbettReport.com, C-O-R-B-E-T-T, Report.com. I am on YouTube, unfortunately. As we know, it is a heavily censored platform at this point, but I'm also on various other social media platforms. But CorbettReport.com is the best way to find my work. And in fact, specifically for what is going on right now, I would highly suggest people go to CorbettReport.com slash Gates, G-A-T-E-S, for my two-hour documentary on who is Bill Gates, talking about the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's influence on absolutely every aspect of the agenda that we're talking about right now, how it is developed, how it monopolized that control, and ultimately how it plays into that depopulation agenda that I talked about earlier. So Agenda 2030, the idea that at least this is where I think it's going. We hear things like sustainable development and we hear things like smart housing. Do they intend by 2030 to have us out of personal automobiles, no more flying? The suburbs, obviously, are an anathema to sustainable development. Do they want us out of large houses into stacked housing? Is this the aim? Do they think they can do this by 2030? I think 2030 might be aspirational, but it is increasingly looking like it could be possible considering how far and how fast they've pushed the agenda this year. In fact, if you would ask me at the beginning of the year if 2030 was a feasible date for this plan, I would have said, well, not really. But as we have seen over the course of this year, perhaps things could be moved along on that timeline. But regardless of whether or not we reach it by 2030, I think that is ultimately where we are being pushed right now. And it is part of a, a much longer agenda. In fact, I think the original plan was to get here by the 21st century, by 2000, 2001. That timeline didn't add up, so it was pushed back and pushed back. It became Agenda 2030. It will become Agenda 2050 if they don't achieve it by 2030, unless we fundamentally start to remove these organizations and bodies that are imposing these strictures of control on the human population right now. That's going to be a monumental task, but it really is the task of free humanity because everything that Agenda 2030 is aimed at is eliminating independence from humanity, independent spirit, independent ability to act without the blessing and approval of corporate slash governmental overlords to the point where literally you can't leave your house without permission in various countries around the world today. And that would have been remarkable, a remarkable statement to make at the beginning of the year. Oh, how things have changed in the course of one year. Can you imagine where they will be one decade from now? So is this in some regards another beta test? And each time something like this happens, they're just going to up the ante in terms of restrictions? I think we have crossed the threshold into a new paradigm with this event, and it is called the biosecurity paradigm. I have been talking about this for several months, but I think it was best articulated by an Italian philosopher named Giorgio Agamben, who wrote about the biosecurity state. He has been writing for years about constitutions and times of emergency and how constitutions of various countries can be subverted by various events. And he noticed that as soon as this started playing out this year with the lockdowns, he started to notice 
the parallels between the previous paradigm, the terror paradigm. We were all supposed to be in mortal existential fear over this terrorist threat that has been eclipsed seemingly overnight by this new viral threat, which is even more insidious because, again, the entire package that we're being sold this year is this idea that not only are these terrorists walking around, people who actively, consciously are trying to inflict pain and suffering on others. No, now anyone could be a terrorist, a bioterrorist, an asymptomatic carrier of this viral infectious pathogen that's spreading their germs willy-nilly if they're allowed to just wander anywhere, which is why we have to come in and control absolutely every aspect of your existence and every breath you take. That is a wonderful, convenient excuse for people who want to eliminate freedom and independence from humanity. And we've seen that play out in every possible way this year, right down to, of course, the elimination or uh, at least the virtual eradication of small businesses, independent businesses in favor of the gigantic mega corporations that are thriving, even as the average person is being put out of work or on the economic ropes as a result of what's going on right now. Eventually, of course, the plan is to get the population in a position of dependence on government largesse, because the government will come in to take care of us with its wonderful stimulus, which will eventually be rolled into a UBI, universal basic income, with some strings attached, of course, making sure that you have your vaccination, making sure that you are complying with all of the rules and strictures imposed by the public health authorities, etc. And that is ultimately what this is about. It's a new paradigm. It's a biosecurity paradigm based on this idea of bioterrorists asymptomatically spreading whatever viral pathogen they tell us is spreading through the population and getting us to do whatever they say, jump through whatever hoops they ask us to jump through in order to protect the rest of the population. Many of us are familiar with the term the Great Reset from Carl Schwab from the World Economic Forum and his book on COVID-19 and the Great Reset, which came out at lightning speed, something like four months into the uh, at a time when about half the world was in in lockdown, magically appears this book ready to go. But it's also been tied in the Great Reset, that is, with something called the Fourth Industrial Revolution. How does the Fourth Industrial Revolution and artificial intelligence and and robotics fit into this? So the Fourth Industrial Revolution was an idea that Carl Schwab was pimping at the World Economic Forum back in Davos in 2016. He co-authored a book about that at that time. And you'll notice that all of his books are co-authored because I have a feeling that he's not, this 81-year-old man is probably not writing all of these books himself. But having said that, the fourth industrial revolution is the concept that we're living through a new neo-industrial neo revolution. And this one is based on these types of cutting-edge technologies that are going to, as Schwab himself says, are going to combine our physical, biological, and digital identities and I think he means that on the most literal as well as the most abstract levels. Very literally, I think this has to do with the coordinated agenda to roll out a biometric identification grid that is being forwarded by suspects that you wouldn't necessarily suspect. Of course, there are purpose-made NGOs that have been created for this, like ID2020, with, of course, the backing of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. But less obviously, you have organizations like Gavi, the Vaccine Alliance, which is a quasi-NGO. I'm not sure exactly what it is. It involves participation with the big pharma manufacturers to ensure access and, and healthy growth of vaccine markets. 
So it is this type of industrial institutional player on the scene. But it is also, in addition to its stated intention of trying to vaccinate the entire world's population, it's also now getting involved in identification schemes to directly tie in your vaccination history to an identification that will be tied into your biometric national ID, which will also eventually be tied into your digital payments, which is another aspect of this agenda that's being run by the World Economic Forum's friends and allies at the Bank for International Settlements, the International Monetary Fund, various central banks around the world where they're trying to look at schemes for how do we put everyone on identification schemes that then we can just airdrop in stimulus checks directly into your bank account, it will take the form of a digital currency that will be created by the Federal Reserve or whatever your local central bank is, just out of nothing, of course. But this will be tied into your vaccination history, etc. So you see that every node on this network, every part of this web connects to every other part in a way that's almost mind-bogglingly, unimaginably large. And I think that the public suffers for their lack of imagination or understanding about how big this agenda is and how deep it goes. Schwab also talked about, in the foreseeable future, uh, brain scans being used to determine or for risk assessment before allowing someone to cross a border or to get on a plane. Your thoughts? Again, I think the average person in the public has no idea the types of technologies that are being proposed and are being actively worked on and developed at the moment. As we have occasionally caught glimpse of here and there coming out of various researchers is this idea that there are going to be increasingly effective brain scans of various sorts that will be able to essentially read people's intentions and thus will be good screening tools at national borders, etc. Again, it sounds like science fiction fantasy, and I am inclined to believe that like lie detector tests and other such pieces of criminal forensic work that have been proven and demonstrated to be scientifically useless but are still admitted as actual evidence in courtrooms. I think the mind-reading technology of the future that Schwab and others are promoting, and I think I called him Carl earlier, of course it's Klaus Schwab, are chicanery and probably will not actually work. But as long as the public believes that these technologies work, and, oh, well, the computer said that you are a terrorist, the computer said that you are thinking of doing X, Y, or Z, then we can arrest you for that in the pre-crime nightmare scenario that's coming into play. And, again, people think... If they were just listening to us talk about this, they might think that we are the crazy, weirdo conspiracy theorists that are talking about this. No, 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 no. It is the Klaus Schwabs and others of the world who are in position to know about this technology, to actively fund it into existence, to create the infrastructure that is rolling it out right now that are the ones that are talking about this. Go and read their words directly. Go and read their writings about these things. Listen to their talks. We are not the ones making this up. They are the ones that are saying this and are in some way preparing the public for that to become a reality. Welcome to your socialist dystopian future, folks. James Corbett stays with me back with more of The Conspiracy Show right after this. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Award-winning investigative journalist, writer, producer, editor of The Corbett Report, James Corbett is with us. James, how did the World Economic Forum, the United Nations, how did they get Western leaders, people like our premier and his cabinet, uh, how did they get them on board with this? Granted, some of our leaders are not our best and brightest. They're ambitious, they have political aspirations, but they're not the sharpest tool in the shed. 
how did they get them to go along with this? Or do they not see what's happening? Why can't they see what's happening? Well, I think part of the problem actually is the the public's acceptance of these people as leaders rather than misleaders, rather than what they really are, which is puppets to be strung along by people who are really pulling their strings. And the people who are really pulling the strings, as always, are the ones writing the checks or the ones more accurately creating the money out of nothing through the banking system itself. So I don't think that the political puppets that are paraded out in the public as the shadows on Plato's cave walled for us to vent our anger on or whatever it is are the ones that are even factors in this equation, really, because we have seen it has been demonstrable throughout the course of this year that the people who are really able to influence and affect a global agenda are the ones in the positions of what we wouldn't think of as political power, but the people in positions at the World Health Organization and other international bodies like this that are now becoming de facto dictators of world policy. Of course, it's all implemented individually by individual governments. It's not that the World Health Organization or these types of bodies can actually dictate anything, but we see how this is being done. And it is being, of course, bankrolled by the likes of the Gateses and the others of the world who are greasing the skids monetarily and financially for the laying of the infrastructure that is the real governing principle of the societies that we're living in. Uh, the politicians, the political, the voting booths, the child's steering wheel that you give to the child in the car to make them feel like they're doing something, it does nothing to change this agenda. And until the public understands that, then they will not have any chance of actively and effectively resisting this agenda. I want to talk a little bit about going back to the monetary system and the global reset on the monetary system. Our Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister, Christia Freeland, seemed like she was telegraphing her government's intentions a couple of weeks ago or maybe a week ago. Uh, she mentioned, and this video is available, anyone can see it on YouTube, she talked about how she was looking for suggestions on how her government could access or tap into the $1.5 billion that Canadians have in savings as a way of stimulating the economy post-COVID. It seemed to me, again, that she's telegraphing, when she, looking for a way, I don't know, to claw back or to bail in. Does that sound eerily familiar to you? Do you see this as maybe a, an attempt to, I don't know, collapse the current financial system and replace it with something else? Yes, in fact, that's exactly what I think is happening right now. And there is a very recent historical precedent for this, this idea, uh, which we saw it taking place in India three years ago during the demonetization event, where the Indian government came out and announced, you know, effective six o'clock tonight or whenever it was, suddenly those uh, larger 500 and 1,000 rupee notes that you have in your wallet that you think are money will no longer be redeemable as money. You'll have to go to the banks and turn them in to get the new forms of those notes. And that might have been strange or surprising to some, but it was actually a brilliant move on the part of the Indian government to essentially rake in a lot of the cash, the free-floating, horrible, icky, non-traceable cash that these individual people are stuffing under their mattresses and keeping it squirreled away from the government are using to trade with each other that they call black money. That's the term that the propagandists in India use. It's black money because it's not money that isn't taxable and the government doesn't know about it. How do we get all of that money in and then in a way that we can make sure that everybody is taxed and controlled? Well, we'll have to 
recall the money, recall the larger notes, and everyone will have to trade them in. And that's exactly what happened. One of the results of that is that India suddenly leapfrogged a number of nations to become a leading nation in terms of digital payments. A lot of Indians have turned to digital payments in the last few years. I think we are seeing a similar sort of process. At least the public is being prepared for a similar process to take place in Canada and other Western nations right now. And that Indian experiment may have been essentially a uh, trial run of that. And interestingly, who popped up during that Indian demonetization scheme to talk about what a great idea it was and how excited he was about it? Of course, Bill Gates, of course, gave lectures in India about the merits of exactly that scheme. And that, again, ties into other parts of this agenda, as everything does. For example, India, as people may or may not know, operates the largest biometric identification database on the planet. Over one billion people have had their fingerprints scanned and their irises scanned into a biometric ID database that then assigns every single Indian resident a 12-digit number that is tied into their Adhar identification, as they call it, which then is tied into your tax rolls and your bank accounts and your financial information. So all of this goes together. They are creating the biometric identification database that will be tied into your financial information. The longer term goal is for it to be 100% digital so that the central banks can literally directly control every single transaction that you make. I cannot stress this enough. When we are giving up the idea of cash flowing in our society in whatever form, we are giving up the most fundamental layer of economic freedom that we have, which is the ability to transact with others voluntarily in the way that we wish. Now, literally, central bankers, like the managing director of the Bank for International Settlements, Augustin Karstens, was just on a, a live stream with the head of the IMF and other central bankers, gloating, rubbing his hands in glee about the amount of control that these central bank digital currencies will give the central bankers to monitor and control and potentially stop every single transaction in the economy. This is the game for all the marbles. And once that system goes into place, there will be very little chance for resistance against this agenda. All right, James, we'll take one final time out and come back, continue discussing the lockdown, the global monetary reset and more. The Conspiracy Show continues in mere moments. Stay with us. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. So, James, would you be... Um concerned about having money inside the banking system? I mean, should we be concerned about our savings, our $1.5 billion in savings in this country and others around the world? Yes, we should. And for many reasons, not only because I think that we are being engineered into an economic crash, the likes of which we haven't seen for at least a century, but also because, as I say, the longer term agenda is essentially to eliminate any prospect of economic freedom from the human population. And uh, that is really the most worrying thing of all. So I'm not sure even if you were allowed to maintain your dollars or whatever they end up being called after the transitionary event takes place, uh, even if you were allowed to retain them, what is the use if you cannot spend them in the way that you like? Uh, once that control is taken out of your hands, the value of actual transaction becomes nil. So I think that the longer-term prospects for people who are interested in guarding their wealth, their actual wealth, not just zeros in their bank account, 
are uh, is to be found in the decentralization of control and in in favoring absolutely anything that allows us to retain our ability to interact and transact with people on a direct one-to-one level uh, without the need for a middleman, whether that be a banker or a government or anything else. Gold, silver, cryptocurrency, your thoughts? Any and all of the above, plus let's throw in let's systems, labor exchange trading systems, uh, various hours systems, alternative currencies, community currencies, direct barter. Uh, there are many, many, many ways to transact outside of this system of control. And I think we really should be learning to flex that muscle right now because it is not going to get any easier as we get further into this. And as I always like to stress, no matter what uh, systems or, or fancy monetary ideas that you come up with, the underlying base for any uh, form of currency is going to be community. If you do not have a community of people that you know and can trust in some sense uh, upon which to create the relations that will form the basis for that currency that you're going to use to exchange in, then you will not be able to do it. it. You cannot put the cart before the horse. You have to have a community first and foremost. And that's exactly, I think, precisely why we are being encouraged to lock ourselves in our own homes and to stop all human contact that isn't intermediated by the big tech companies. It's because our ability to interact with each other really is the greatest threat to this agenda, which points, again, to the direction that we should be heading in, which is exactly in the opposite direction we're being told to head in. We need to maintain our actual contact in the real world with other real human beings to form those communities, to form the basis for a real uh, and, and lasting and meaningful opposition to this agenda. How else do we resist and fight back? The only resistance that is really going to matter, that is going to make a difference to this uh, at this point, is organized disobedience. We are going to have to disobey orders at some point, which I know is going to be uncomfortable for a lot of people who know themselves to be good, law-abiding people. They're not troublemakers. They do not want to rock the boat. They don't want to, uh, uh, to resist others and, or, or see themselves in that light. But when the system starts to push you against that wall, we do have to stand against it. And I think the way to do that is through disobedience. And that's going to have to take many different forms. And I'm sure everyone out there can see the ways that they can apply that in their own lives. But we're going to have to do that. And I think it will have to be organized to some extent. And I, I dislike that idea. That goes against my ideas of decentralized and, and uh, sort of lone wolf resistance to these, these sorts of agendas. But if enough people aren't doing it, it will be exceptionally easy to pick off the ones that are, which is why we have to support the people who are opening their businesses against public health orders. We have to support our communities in various situations where the police are trying to enforce laws and orders that we know are against uh, the flourishing of hum- humanity. And uh, I don't take th- these ideas lightly. I think we really have reached an inflection point in human history where people like Klaus Schwab and others are openly now talking about the end of humanity. Not my words. That is what they are talking about with the transhuman revolution, the fourth industrial revolution. If we want to preserve humanity itself, I think we have to resist this agenda and we have to stop simply obeying dictates and, uh, and, and uh, obeying the orders of these unelected public health authorities. 
Uh, I'm not telling anyone to take any particular action or not to take any particular action to protect themselves in whatever way they feel they need to take uh, in order to protect their health. That isn't what this is about. This is about being able to have the choice to interact with others in the way that you want. And that is the base level of what this should be directed at. Where are the uh, where is the media? Uh, I mean, there are a few journalists. You are one. I mentioned Laurie Goldstein, uh, who uh, I think is kind of a little bit late coming to the dance. But God bless him. He's 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 uh, he's aware now of what's happening. But where are the rest of them? Where is they are supposed to be uh, sort of, you know, our, our last best hope to keep people accountable. They are supposed to afflict the comfortable and give comfort to the afflicted, and they are doing neither. Where are they? What has happened? Well, unfortunately, the business model uh, that has uh, pertained to the media industry over the course of the last century has involved greater and greater centralization of, uh, of media control in fewer and fewer hands, and those hands are inevitably connected to the corporatocracy, the banking establishment, the international institutions, that is where the money for these operations, these uh, mass media platforms has traditionally come from. And that's why we see them all trending broadly in the same direction. You do see voices here and there that go against the grain, but they are few and far between and are generally stamped out when they start to make a real difference, which is, again, why the flourishing of independent media, like what you are doing, what I am doing, what others are doing, that has been largely facilitated by what is happening online or has been happening online for the past couple of decades, is such a, an existential threat to the dinosaur media model of these mass media purveyors and why it is now being so obviously uh, stamped out or squelched out by these various censorship policies and practices, which is why it is exceptionally important for people to be supporting the independent media that is bringing this from a genuinely independent perspective that aren't taking paychecks from Big Pharma or whatever else to sell you the next snake oil. Um, that, uh, uh, unfortunately, nothing is free, and people have to support the people who are actually doing this independently, or else all you will get is the advertiser-supported corporate uh, dross of the me mainstream media that has been selling, selling you and your family down the river for generations now. How much longer do you think you'll be allowed to continue to do what you do? In the form that I'm doing it right now, I would be surprised if I even make it to the end of the year. I do have a report coming out on uh, the future of vaccines and vaccine technology, or at least what they call vaccines. But, of course, uh, given the types of mRNA and DNA vaccines and the bioelectronics and the other sorts of things that are being worked on right now, I'm not sure that uh, you could even call them vaccines. But I am doing a report on that type of technology and what is coming in the future. And that, of course, is the one of the big verboten things that you cannot mention on any uh, social media platform or else you will be censored. So I, I expect I will be censored from mainstream platforms uh, in, in the coming months. But having said that, I have been preparing for this for years. In fact, over a decade ago, I was supporting uh, independent upstarts that were trying to uh, form video sharing platforms uh, in competition to YouTube. I've been supporting these ideas for a long time. So now I am on various uh, alternative social media platforms where I think there will still be ways to get the word out, at least for the time being. Uh, but it is getting harder and it will get con continue to get harder 
And, uh, and that's why, again, I think people need to actively be seeking out and supporting the people who are bringing this information. Uh, James, once again, how do we uh, watch your uh, videos, your documentaries, your read your articles? CorbettReport.com. Again, everything I do is 100% freely available to the public. Uh, of course, I do rely on the support of people out there, but I never ask people to support my work unless they have already seen my reports and know uh, the, the quality of the work that I deliver. Uh, but having said that, everything I do, I always provide sources back to the source material. If I talk about Klaus Schwab or something that uh, uh, Christine Lagarde or someone else said, I will always include a link back to the original document or video so that you can prove it for yourself and come to your own conclusions because I respect the intelligence of the average person out there in a way that the mainstream corporate dinosaur media does not. They try to tell you what to think and they try to keep you away from the actual sources of information. I am the exact opposite. I exhort you to go to the original sources so you can see I'm not the crazy crackpot talking about this. It is the Klaus Schwab's of the world who are talking about these crazy ideas and this is their stated agenda and uh, that's why it is extremely important that we become aware of it so that we can more effectively combat it. James, you're doing uh, great work. I wish we had a thousand like you over here in Canada. You, we, need, we need that so badly. Thank you so much for this. Thank you for doing what you do. It is more important than it ever has been. James Corbett, The Corbett Report. All right, when we come back, retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis on Communist China's infiltration of Canada, the United States, plus a little bit on the U.S. election. Back with more in a moment. Stay with us.